And love is, love is a funny word. It's a word that, that I, I don't know that we, we understand real well um, in, in terms of loving others well. And, you know, even loving our, our family, our spouses. And, you know, I look at my life and, and how, I, how I love or whether I love well or, or not is... Um, it frustrates me because I want to love well. And uh, if you were here for my uh, sabbatical, or right when I came back from sabbatical, I talked about 1 Corinthians 13 and just marinating in that passage of lo- on love. And, and I've continued to do that. And when Martin and I were talking about this sermon, he said, hey, preach on 1 Corinthians 13. I was like, all right, sweet. Um, we do have the ability to, if you want to ask questions, text them. They'll go back to Greg. Uh, Greg will then, um, uh, at the end, Martin and I will... We'll try and answer them. If there, if there are questions, if they're not, that's great too. But we want to, this, this faith that we have is a communal faith, and, and it's about us learning together. Because if, if it's just, you know, Martin or I getting up here and it, it, it's, we're not answering the question that you're asking, I don't know that that's that helpful. And so we have that ability now. But, uh, Back to what I was talking about with, with love and loving my, my, my family. It just made me think of uh, something that happened while I was on sabbatical. Um, uh, like, <clears throat> like I've said in the past, I, we moved um, while I was on sabbatical. And, and we moved into this, this large development. And uh, we went from not in a development to in a development. And, and uh, so, you know, I'm learning what it means to be a, a good neighbor. And so I, I'm really aware of that. And I was, I was sitting in my room uh, one morning and everyone else was up. And I don't know if I was listening to the game or whatever, but my, my nieces were over and um, I had the window open so I could hear out front because our, our bedroom's in the front of the house on the second floor. And so I could hear what was going out on out in the front yard. Well, my, my nieces and my son ran out of the front door, and then I heard Anaya say, Saber got out. Well, Saber's our dog. And so, like, when Saber used to get out in the past, it wasn't that big a deal, because he'd just run, and then we'd call him back, and he'd be fine. Well, now we live in this development with lots and lots of houses. And so I was like, okay, being the good husband I am, I sat there and waited to hear kind of what was going to happen next. Um, because, you know, my expectation was that I would hear Tamina yell at the front door, Saber! And Saber would come back. But I didn't hear anything. And I'm like, so I waited a little longer, and I was like, okay, no, I'm going to go down. So I go down, and in a very loving way, <laughs> I asked Tamina in a very nice and compassionate way, hey, what are you going to do about the dog being outside? And, and her response was, oh, Anaya's going to get the dog. I love Anaya. There's no way she's getting the dog. Like, just not, like, she's not going to do it. So I, I go outside, and, you know, it's, I walk to the left and around the corner, and there's a park there. And so I look in the park, and, and the kids and the dog aren't anywhere to be found. So I walk back to the house, and I go to the right and go around the corner, and I see Joel and my two nieces chasing Saber down the street. And Saber veered off into a neighbor's yard. And so I call real quick, and Saber and the, the kids come back. It was awesome. Um, feel power. Zero! Comes running. So um, I go in the house and very gently and lovingly and compassionately engage with my wife on um, how I just thought this was a big deal. Actually, I didn't. You know, I just, I wasn't very loving or patient or kind towards my wife in that situation. And as I study this passage, I, I just see so many times in my own life how I, I don't know what it means to be loving. And sometimes I don't understand how we are to be loving. And that's why I think this, this passage in 1 Corinthians is so important. And, and my problem is when I read this passage, I hear someone at a wedding, love is patient, love is kind. You know, it's like, no, it's, it's not, I don't know that that's the way Paul intended it to be is this, you know, let's put it on our wall and let's look at it. And it's a beautiful saying, but yet it doesn't change the way that we act and, and react, and it really needs to. So turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13.
verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. What does it mean to be loving? And I think that as we study these, what these words mean, it'll help us understand what it means to be loving. How many of you guys had this passage read at your wedding? Okay, there's two of us. I guess we're the only spiritual ones in here. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let's dig into these, these different words and let's, let's try and look at them and, and understand what they mean. The first, love is patient. The, the word carries the idea that we are not easily impassioned to defend or avenge when wronged. It carries the idea that we're long-suffering, that when we're wronged, we, we are able to step back and not react, but be able to be patient. See, and for me, I'm, I'm a passionate person, and I love to... Well, God just made me a passionate person, so it's okay for me to communicate this way because it's the way God made me. Well, just because God made me a passionate person doesn't mean that it's loving to act and react that way. Instead of being impassioned, I need to be patient. See, and the thing with all of these words, you can look at how God deals with us and parallel them. And this idea of love is patient carries the idea of how patient God is in handing out His wrath towards humanity. So when we think about love as patient, we need to recognize what God has done for us. And the fact that we're still here is an example of God's patience. Peter talks about how he hasn't come back yet because he still, people are still coming to know him. And that's an example of his patience. And that's the patience we need to have with those people that we love with our spouses, with our family. Love is patient. Not easily impassioned. Or defending or avenging when we were wronged. It's able to step back and have the proper perspective. Remembering what God has done for us. Love is patient. It is kind. The second idea, uh, second word carries the idea of being tender, affectionate, not harsh or sour. In the midst of being wronged, it looks for the good in the other, not the bad. It's being courteous. It's not being sarcastic or cutting in the midst of a fight. If kindness was a part of the way that we interacted with our spouse, how would it change the tone of our fights? our discussions. If we were courteous, would it change how we're treating our spouse or our kids? See, I hear way too many cases where it's more important to be heard than it is to be kind. I just need my point to be heard. Well, you can be the most unloving person, but be heard if that's really what you're looking for. Love is kind. I think it's not easy for a lot of us, but, but that doesn't change the fact that we have to be kind. We are told to be kind. And again, that being kind, being tender, courteous, affectionate. And, and yes, guys, it, it's, it's manly to be tender. It's manly to be kind. Love is kind. It does not envy. In the, in the scriptures, this, this word envy has both positive and negative meanings. And here in this verse, it takes the negative Mary's meaning. It, it carries the idea of anger or hatred towards someone. See, uh, it, the way it looks in a marriage is where one spouse is being recognized more than the other. 
you know, that, that spouse is being recognized at work and getting accolades at work or, or they're being invited to do things at, at church or in other places because people are recognizing what they bring to the table and the gifts that God has given them. And instead of um, the spouse being happy and excited about how God is using them or how God has gifted them, they're upset. They're envious. They want that. Why, wait a minute. I'm good too. Look at me. See, the loving response is when our, our spouse is being recognized, when our kids are being recognized, we celebrate with them. Not be mad at them. Because what that does is it turns into bitterness and bitterness, hatred, and then it starts to overflow into the fights, into the discussions. And then you start to vilify your spouse. And you're not able to love. Because from the inside out, you've been eaten alive by envy. Love does not envy. Love rejoices when the other is recognized. It celebrates what others see in their spouse or kids. It does not boast. It does not brag. It does not call attention to oneself. Hey, look at me. Look at how good I am. And I have to be honest. When I, when I read this, I thought of men. I don't know if you guys are like me, but when I come home and I do stuff around the, around the house, I want to be recognized. Look what I've done. So when Tamina comes in, it's like, I'm waiting. She doesn't say anything. Hey, did you notice? I put away the dishes. I'm off the floor. I vacuumed. I cleaned up. Did you notice all that I've done for you? No. Love doesn't boast. It's not about calling attention. It's about serving. It's not you're, you're doing this to, to, to gain brownie points or, or to look good. You're doing it to serve your family, to love your family. Be, to, to help. Not to be recognized. Love. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not arrogant. It doesn't think of themselves as more important than what they are. The way this looks in a marriage is it's the spouse who doesn't think they have anything wrong with them. I'm not as bad as you are. Like, you're, you're pretty bad. I'm not that bad. Like, this word literally means puffed up. Look at me. It's the spouse who says, hey, I'm not going to cook dinner. Not because I don't know how, but because it's your job. I'm not going to go vacuum. That's your job. Love is not proud. It's not puffed up. Love says, hey, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to serve. Not to get recognition, but because I love you. It is not rude. Love does not act unbecomingly. According to the dictionary, unbecomingly is defined as detracting from one's appearance, character, or reputation. Love is not rude, carries the idea that someone is living in a way that brings reproach or cause for accusation against the community of faith, against the family. And love doesn't do that. Love seeks to build up the community of faith. Love seeks to build up the family, not tear it down. It is not rude does not act unbecomingly. It is not self-seeking. Love seeks the good of others. It's not focused on self, self-expression or self-indulgence. It's not focused, it's focused on others. The focus of our lives should be on bringing glory and honor to God and living in a way that's selfless. It's not about our rights as an individual. Hey, I deserve the night off because I've had a rough day. Well, has your spouse had any less of a rough day? How are we being selfish in the way that we treat our kids, in the way that we treat our spouse? 
<clears throat> Tamina and I have had a lot of talks about how I can love her better. I was at a, I was at a, because um, I stink at it, but um, I was at a, a set of meetings with some other youth workers, and one of the guys t- who had been married way longer than I've been married um, said that him and his wife sat down for coffee one day and just said, he asked her, how can I, how can I love you better? I thought, hey, that's a great idea. So I called Tamina and said, hey, I heard, let's, let's talk through this. So we started talking through what it means for me to love her better, more selflessly. And uh, we've done um, some life coaching things, and one of her, uh, she's an introvert by nature. And she's had kids for, we've had kids for 10 years, so she's been around kids nonstop essentially for 10 years. Well, for an introvert, it's enough to drive you nuts. And then you add in my kids, enough to drive you nuts. Um, and so she just needed some time during the week for herself. You know, and selfishly, I don't want to give her any time because I just need to get stuff done. But one of the things that we just implemented is every, every Wednesday, I, I go pick up the kids from school. I come home. She goes to Starbucks. I take care of the kids. We bring them to Awana, and then we go on a date. And it's midweek. It's, it's a way that she can get recharged, and it's a way that I can love her selflessly. So some of the questions you have to ask is, how can you love your spouse selflessly? What are things that you could do to serve your spouse? Because love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. This is, this is the person who's short-tempered. Easy to fly off the handle. They're quick to get angry and passionate. And, and the opposite is, is someone who is patient and kind. You know, the first couple words that we looked at. They choose to act in a loving manner, even when the kids aren't listening, even when their expectations aren't being met. It's so easy to fly off the handle. It's so easy to be easily angered. But that's not what love does. Love is not easily angered. Love, it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not write down all the ways that we have been wronged. Love doesn't keep them in the forefront of our mind. Hey, I've got my checklist. Oh, you did it again. Because then again, we, we vilify our spouse. Instead, love chooses to forgive and move on from past hurts and pains. Again, this is a part of being patient and kind. And, and again, it's, it's the whole idea of when we put our faith and trust in Christ, He forgives us of our sins and He, and he pushes our sins as far as the east is from the west. So again, Christ does not keep record of the wrongs that we've committed against Him. Why are we saying it's okay for us to remember all the ways that our spouse has wronged us? Because when we do that, it's extremely selfish. Keeping record of wrong is selfish. We have to focus on the right things. Colossians says, focus on the things of the above, where, God is, where Christ is seated, not on the things of this earth. We need to focus on what God is doing in us, through us. Focus on what He's doing. Not focused on our spouse and what they're not doing. If we can focus on what God on God and what he's doing in us, it will help us keep, not keep record of wrong. Love chooses to forgive and move on. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoice in the truth. And, and I think that this is a culminating verse. It, it, it's just, it's culminating um, all that Paul's talking about. Love is not focused on the wrong things. It's delighting. It's not delighting in the evil. Instead, it's rejoicing when actions align with how the gospel compels us to live. 
when we live in a manner worthy of the calling that God has placed on our life, love rejoices with us. It will help our marriage. It will help our lives. I don't know about you, but as I study these, I just I, I get so convicted by how I love in my family. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is, is this passage was not written in the context of marriage or family. This passage was written in the context of the community of faith. It's written in a way that it talks about how we should treat everyone. Everything we just talked about is how we should treat our enemies, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. This is who we should be. This is what it looks like to be loving. And the idea is we want people to, to look at us and to see us and say, hey, they are a lo- that's a loving person. They're so patient and kind. They're just, they're, they're selfless. It's what it means to be loving. Now the question is, how can we be loving? How can we love others well? And see, we are commanded throughout scriptures, throughout the scriptures to, to love well. Philippians 2 says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Love, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs but be interested in others too and what they are doing. The next part, and have this very attitude in you which was in Christ Jesus who did not seek to hold on, stay in heaven. Instead, he came down to this earth, took on the form of a servant and died a criminal's death. He is the example of what it means to be loving. And And throughout Scripture, we are commanded to be loving. The problem is we cannot do it. We can't do it. This is impossible for us to do in and of ourselves. I cannot be a loving person in and of myself. Myself? In and of myself. I can't. I could try and work really hard. I can, I can, I can work on doing love, but I can't. Because God is love. And the only way I can be loving is by an act of God in me. And see, the great thing is, is God knew this. And when we put our faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, the Spirit of God comes in us and dwells us. In Galatians 5, 22-23 says, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here there is no conflict with the law. Look at the parallels between uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and the fruits of the Spirit and how they, they align. When we yield to the Spirit, when, when the Spirit of God convicts us of sin and, and, and shows us a direction we should go, it's a matter of us saying, hey, I know that that's where God's telling me I need to go. I need to be loving. I, I need to react this way. And, and I, I need to go over here. It's us choosing to go over there. Instead of saying, well, I know I'm supposed to be loving, but I really want to be selfish. Like, how many of us think that way? Like, we don't. We just, I just want this. Well, what do you want? I want to be selfish. So how is it that we can be loving if it's impossible, I, I, th- I thought of four ways. First, being loving starts with us relying on and seeking God. It starts with us relying on and seeking God. It starts with us relying on and seeking God. 
Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. It's only through the power of the Spirit in us that can help us love. And so we need to seek God. We need to connect with God. And here's the thing is, you need to answer the question, how do you connect with God? Nate and I were talking about that this week. And for him to connect with God, he really needs a piano and a quiet room where he can play and sing. And his heart gets connected to God and it's the way that God has, has, has worked in him. For me, it's different. For me, it's when I get around a, a, a couple people and we're just wrestling through Scripture, it helps me connect with God. For Martin, in the morning, when he gets up, he's able to connect with God just through studying Scripture and quietness. For some, it's, it's being together at, at church. For, for some, it's, it's uh, being in the woods by yourself. It's how are we going to connect with God? How do we seek God and connect with God? Recognizing that we all are, are created differently, but the one thing that is true is no matter how we connect with God, we are still called to be together. We are still called to be a community of faith and to be a church. And so we need to figure out how we connect with God and how we can connect with God with others. We're not created to be islands. So the first thing of how we can be loving is, is by relying on God and seeking Him. The second is we, remember, we have to remember what God has done for us. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. We need Jesus as much today as we did the first day we met Him. All of us do. We may be further along in, in different ways in our walk with God, but that doesn't make us any less needy. And so we have to remember what God has done for us. He has forgiven us. He has set us free. He took our place. See, when we are able to focus on what God has done for us, it helps us see others differently. It helps us remember that we are all pieces of work. Saved by grace, we are all valuable in God's sight. But we need Him. So it starts with us relying and seeking God. Letting Him change us from the inside out. It's about us recognizing what God has done for us. Third, it's about seeing people as God sees people. Everyone was created in the image of God. They have value to God. We are still here because of God's patience and, and wanting people to come to know Him. People have People are important to God. People have value. And we need to see people as God sees people. And when we are able to step back and, and, and recognize what He has done for us, it helps us again see people differently and see people as He sees people. Because until we see people as God sees people, they're not going to be that valuable. Because we get selfish. We think, hey... I'm not as bad as that guy. Which is not loving. The fourth way we can be loving, of how we can be loving, is by starting. It's by doing it now. It's not making excuses. It's not saying, well, I've got such a far way to go. No, it's about God has, has begun a good work in you. He will bring it to completion. It's about starting. It's not about making I will start seeking God at some point. No, now. I tell my kids all the time, no buts. I'll, I'll seek God, but no buts. I will love others, when, but, but no buts. I'll be patient, but, but no buts. It's starting now. It's saying from this, I'm, I'm putting my stake in the ground and I'm saying because God loves me, because of what he's done for me and how he has chosen me, how he's called me out and how he has worked in me, both the willing to do for his good pleasure, I'm going to start now saying I'm going to be loving. I'm not going to keep records of wrong. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be kind. I'm not going to be envious. I'm not going to boast. I'm not going to be proud. 
I'm not going to keep records of wrong. I'm not going to be easily angered. I'm not going to be short-tempered. I'm going to start now. Are we being loving? Are we being loving? How are we being loving? Are we trying to do it on our own, thinking that if I just try a little harder, are we recognizing that this is an act of God that God has to do in and through me? See, we need to wake up every morning praying, God, help me see others as you see them. God, help me to be a loving person. It's throughout the day. God, help me. Because we can't do it in of ourselves. God, let your spirit work in me. I want the fruits of the spirit to be present in my life. And I need to, when I know God has convicted me, I need to run in that direction towards him, not away from him. Are we being loving? Are we going to mess up? Yes. And that's why it starts now. When I recognize that I messed up, hey, stake in the ground, I'm going to move forward. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. See, the thing is, is, is God uh, says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and strength. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. If we focus on loving God, if we seek God, and we focus on loving God, He will help us love people. As we love people, everything else will fall into place. See, loving God and loving others has to be the focus of everything we do as believers. It is the only way we're going to change this world. It's the only way we're going to change our community. It's the only way we will change this church. And it's the only way we will change our families, our neighbors, our friends, is by loving God and loving others. How are we doing? at being loving. Martin, we have one question. You want to come up? If you guys have questions, feel free to text or we can ask. Uh, you guys can ask questions. Uh, but it was, as I was preparing this message, um, I thought, crud, Martin started a trend and I have to follow it of letting people interact. But I, I think it's good because it helps. All right. The question, there are people in our, in our midst who have been subjected to physical or emotional abuse by a spouse or family member. How should they apply these principles in their situation? Senior? I think that's a great <laughs> question. Um, you know, I, I think understanding that um, being patient and kind is always on the table but allowing, uh, making sure you're putting safeguards in your own life to make sure they're not in a situation for harm is important. And so I think that we are still called to love and be loving and to practice these principles, but also understand that not putting yourself in situations where abuse could happen again. And I, I think if abuse is happening, the most loving thing you can do is get help. Yeah, and I would add that the most loving thing you to do is draw a hard line boundary yeah. and say, I, I will not allow you to treat me that way. And I want to work on this relationship, but for me to stay in this relationship with this taking place is going to destroy me and it will destroy the relationship. So it's fair to be able to say, I want to work on this, but we've got to, we've got to put some boundaries in place and some possibly even some physical distance in place because otherwise it becomes all about trying to deal with damage control rather than deal with the pursuit of reconciliation and you're managing the damage trying to manage the damage and the hurt rather than being able to work on the relationship itself so uh, that is the most loving thing to do because love is all about reconciliation and restoration right 
But if all you're doing is staying in a place where destruction has taken place, reconciliation cannot, does not have the space to take place. So. And I think as, as just making sure that you're not being a hindrance towards reconciliation. Because I think a lot of places where abuse and, and physical or emotional abuse can happen, um, I think keeping record of wrong can be thrown in that person's face constantly and just create. And, and so learning how to um, not keep record of wrong, but also not put yourself in that situation and draw those hard lines. So, yeah. And I would add to this whole scenario the, the thought that, um, you know, growing in these qualities, these divine qualities that reflect the very nature of God within us by his, his very presence, um, that, that is a, a discovery process where we grow into, I mean, I think that's why Paul talks what he says, what he says towards the end of chapter 13 of, um, you know, right now we don't see things face to face, but one day we will. You know, I'm going to put away childish things. What are the childish things that he's talking about? Well, some of those are the opposites of what love is. Um, so there's a progressive uh, realization of growing in that. And I would add also just the whole part of um, the need to make sure that we recognize what are those things that we keep that keep tripping us up. If I'm an impatient person, but I choose to be impatient, resolving to be a more patient person has never worked well for me. But identifying why I'm impatient, that's worked. So that you know, it's kind of like in 1997, Kim and I. Um, and another couple rented a, um, a cruiser, a, 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 not a motorcycle, a, a boat, cutter, 31-foot cutter, um, carving cutter, and had 500 horsepower. We went out to the Rosario Resort in uh, the San Juan Islands, took it out there, and uh, when I pulled it into the dock, I, was, I pulled it in wrong. And so I had to, they said, you've got to back it up and back it in. So I backed it up, swung the front end around, and I started to gun it, and I wasn't going anywhere, not realizing that uh, Pastor Dan Atwood had tied me off on the dock. <laughs> and so here I was, getting ready to apply all 500 horsepower, and all of a sudden I hear these people yelling at me, stop, stop, and I look around, and I'm pulling this dock up <laughs> next to this million-dollar boat <laughs> on the other side. Um, you know, we can apply all of our efforts and we can, we can even ask, yield to the Holy Spirit and say, would you do this in me? But part of what has to happen in that process, in that discovery process, is understanding what it is I'm anchored to. What's holding me back. And that's part of that discovery process. And um, in, these, in all situations, but especially in the abusive situations, the focus becomes the other person, right? What this person has done to me. And you always got to understand that there is a high, high likelihood that you have, you have had a contributing factor in that as well. And so for true reconciliation to take place, it has to take place on both sides of the coin. Yeah, owning, owning your yeah. 1%. Um, next question. How do we handle things in a loving manner in the midst of chaos? That's a great question. Well, I think, uh, <laughs> see, this is why he's better at this than me. I think um, I, I hear boundaries again, you know, and understanding, you know, where is their chaos and, and what, how do we respond in chaos? Uh, just in my own life, um, when we are moving, uh, I don't do well in chaos. Um, I don't do well when things can't be put away. I don't necessarily like to clean, but... Um, I don't like when things are a mess. And so I get um, agitated, easily angered when, uh, when things are in chaos. And so that's a trigger for me. So that's something to me that I've had to talk through and, and you know, figure out how I can help in that, in that chaos to help me love well or help me respond well. So, I mean, I, I think it's just understanding the trigger of what's going on in your own heart and, and how you're reacting to chaos. Yeah, sometimes you just got to stop the insanity. I don't know what's, what, what is referred to with, in terms of the chaos. I don't know if it's chaos within the home, just all the stuff that's going on, or if it's chaos just in the relationship. Some points, some points you just got to be willing to look at each other and say, I'm going to stop, we're going to stop this chaos. 
Instead, we're going we're gonna to separate for a little while. We're gonna, and I'm not this, so, so, talking about um, literal separation. Um, you, know, you move out. But um, you take and you, you step back and you say, what is really going on here? And you stop the blaming. And you, you, you begin to look at things a little more deeper and say, what's, what's really happening here on the backstage of what's going on? Um, that's really important. So you've got to step back away from the chaos and then be willing to say, what's really going on here? And begin to deal with it at that point. And I think that's what I was talking about with Tamina, with her needing that time, you know, just understanding who you are and, and what it looks like for you to love well and what needs to change and happen and, and how to be selfless in this situation. So, yeah. And a big part of that is listening. Yeah. Being willing to say, help me understand what's really going on in your heart. Before you even begin to broach, help me, let me help you understand what's going on in my heart. Okay, so seek to understand and then be understood. Yeah. All right. What would you say to someone who states that they would rather keep their faith simple and trust in God that they are forgiven rather than base their faith on action and how good morality here I'm gonna and how good morality they, that they can be how do you communicate to someone that act that action goes in hand with faith To keep your faith simple requires that you understand what faith is. Yeah. Um, simple belief without a clear understanding or without a, a willingness to grow in one's understanding that um, faith calls us into a new life um, is not faith. Um, that's easy believism, which is not what Scripture teaches. Faith enters, sets you on a path into a different kind of life, into the kingdom of God. And we're going to be dealing with that when I start the new series in January called Authentic, um, dealing with discipleship in 1 Thessalonians. Faith is, faith is a launching point. It's not an ending point. It's not the, it's not the, um, the finish line. It's the starting line. And it leads you into a life of growth uh, to, to ask a, to, to, for someone to say something like what's been represented is like a child coming to you, a three-year-old child, and say, Daddy, Mommy, I don't want to grow up. I just want you to continue to feed me. I want to continue to live as a three-year-old for the rest of my life. How many of your parents, how many parents here would be concerned if your child did that? <laughs> you know, you don't do that. That's because there's something severely broken at that point, Right. Um, they don't understand what life is all about. So faith leads you on a path that, that, uh, that takes you in a whole different kind of direction. Faith, faith has to lead to action or else it's not faith. Yeah, it, it's, it's, I don't know what it is, it's, but it's definitely not faith. Yeah. So. Uh, any other questions? And to say that you're just going to live a moral life that's not the gospel. That just isn't it. The gospel doesn't call us to just live a moral life. The gospel calls us to live a different kind of life. So, um, there's so many, so many things that are wrong with that, that scenario. Uh, you know, I got, uh, I got a son and a, a grandson are both in law enforcement. Aren't there quests sometimes when you really have to dial 911? When it comes to the love issue? Yeah, actually. Yeah. I think it's always important to invite other people in. I think that there's instances where the most loving thing you can do is invite a trusted friend in. Because there's a lot of times where I think as a couple, you're not you're not even using the same language. Like, you're not in the same zip code. And you need someone to help you get on, in the same zip code, using the same language. I mean, Tamina and I, yesterday, we were, we were talking pink and blue at each other. And it was like, it took us a couple minutes to get back to, wait, oh, okay. Like, this is just a pink and blue issue. This isn't, like, I'm wrong, she's wrong, she's right, I'm wrong. Like, 
it, it just, it, it takes sometimes an outside helper, especially if there are issues that have not been dealt with for a long time. The, the longer you wait to deal with issues, the more need you're probably going to have to bring someone else in. Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's foolish for us to believe that we can solve some of these issues on our own. Um, this, like Brian said, this is a communal faith. This is a faith of community. It's not a faith of individualism. And to dial 911 is to call and say um, to someone else, would you please help us kind of think through some of these things? And I've had that. I've, and it's been amazing. Um, we've, Kim and I have had couples over to our house, and they've, they've done that. And sometimes it's just us being able to help them ask the right questions. Um, to be able to get on the same page. I saw some fear in Nate's eyes when I raised my hand. <clears throat> I'll be good, I promise. Uh, for that question in the corner, it was, uh, I think it's important that not only uh, do we seek outside counsel or uh, bring a friend in, we got to make sure that those people are trusted and well-grounded in the word and under authority, um, and that also that we listen to the counsel that we're given on both sides and when one or the other or both are not listening that we're honest and open about to those people that we've trusted and invited in and be real with them and open about everything that's really going on because otherwise you're just you're living a lie to the people you're bringing in and if the friends that you're bringing in outside of like counseling or pastoral counsel um, aren't grounded in the word then they there is a very large potential that they're going to turn on one or the other um, and take one side or the other. Well, and I think that it's important to, when you seek counsel, um, and it's trusted counsel, it, it's important that um, there's a lot of people who seek counsel that don't want counsel. There's a lot of people who, who want help but don't want to do anything with the help. And so if, if you're saying, hey, I need help, and then you're not willing to do anything with it, you're basically saying, Thank you for giving me your advice, but it means nothing to me. And I think it's important that when we invite outside people in, we're humble enough to say, okay, does this align with Scripture? Is this a wise thing to do? Yeah, okay, then I, I should listen. Yeah, the goal in, in seeking counsel is to, to gain reconciliation. Yeah. If all you want in seeking counsel is to gain a hearing, then, then you know, be honest about that. You know, but um, yeah, I think that anyone who goes to another person and says, let me tell you my side of the story and I only want, then you can make your decision as to what I should do as a fool. Anyone who's willing to, to act upon that kind of information, because there's always two sides to every story. And, uh, you know, so there's, it's, that's real important to note. Last question. How does tough love square with 1 Corinthians 13? Great question. <laughs> I, think it depends. I told Brian he's preaching this Sunday. Yeah. Huh? You know? um, I, I think it depends on, and, on what you call tough love. I think it depends on the situation and the circumstance. And I think that as parents, because uh, I don't know that tough love aligns within a spouse relationship. Because I'm not over Tamina. Tamina's not over me. I'm not, I'm not to teach Tamina how to love me. And she's not to teach me how to love her. We are to work together, um, not as teachers, but to love one another in, in, as peers. And so when I think of tough love, I think in terms of parenting. And for me, tough love signifies something's going on in that kid's life where they are being completely disobedient and, and reckless. And I think it's, it's seeking to understand what's going on. What's the backstage? Why is the, why is the kid reacting and acting that way? And a lot of times our kids act and react that way because that's how we've taught them to act and react. Which sometimes means that we need to look at ourselves before we look at our kids. Yeah, I, I think that, um, that 1 Corinthians 13 has a lot to do with um, how I choose, the kind of person I choose to bring to the table. 
so when it comes to tough love, um, I guess that's that's the opposite of that is enabling love or enabling sentimentality. I don't call enabling love at all. Um, I think of how did Jesus how did Jesus do it? You know, with the man who uh, the rich young ruler, not the rich young ruler, but the man who had a lot of money. Um, when he came to Jesus, said, "I want to follow you," and Jesus, Jesus looked at him and and said, "You know, this is you need to go and sell everything." But it was too much, and he walked away. And the guy said, "Ah," Jesus said, "Ah," I, you know, he 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 almost wept over the guy. So there's there's a lot there's a lot that's into that. I'm not sure exactly what's meant by tough love. I need a little bit broader context to know how to really answer that question adequately. Okay. All right. In all this, the question is, question remains, are we being loving? When we read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, are we being patient? Are we being kind? Are we envying? Are we boasting? Are we proud? Are we self-seeking? Are we easily angered? Are we keeping record of wrong? Are we delighting in evil? Or are we delighting in what is true? I know for me it's extremely convicting. Father, we need you to teach us your ways. We need your spirit to work in us to convict us of sin, to reveal truth. Father, help us to remember all that you've done for us. And Father, help us to to keep that in the forefront of our mind. Lord, help us to remember to live as Christ. We need to focus on you. Lord, You desire us. You command us to love you above all else and to love others. Father, help us to be a people that are marked by love. And that can only happen through us submitting to you, living for you. In your name I pray. Amen.